0: Does not man have hard service on earth? Are not his days like those of a hired man? Like a slave longing for the evening shadows or a hired man waiting eagerly for his wages? So I have been allotted months of futility and nights of misery have been assigned to me. When I lie down, I think, how long before I get up? The night drags on and I toss till dawn. My body is clothed with worms and scabs. My skin is broken and festering. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle, and they come to an end without hope. Remember, O God, that my life is but a breath. My eyes will never see happiness again. The eye that now sees me will see me no longer. You will look for me, but I will be no more. As a cloud vanishes and is gone, so he who goes down to the grave does not return. He will never come to his house again. His place will know him no more. Therefore, I will not keep silent. I will speak out in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I the sea or the monster of the deep that you put me under guard? When I think my bed will comfort me and my couch will ease my complaint, even then you frighten me with dreams and terrify me with visions so that I prefer strangling and death rather than this body of mine. I despise my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone. My days have no meaning. What is, man, that you make so much of him, that you give him so much attention, that you examine him every morning and test him every moment. Will you never look away from me or let me alone even for an instant? If I have sinned, what have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my sins and forgive my sins? For I will soon lie down in the dust, You will search for me, but I will be no more. Then Bildad the Shuite replied, How long will you say such things? Your words are a blustering wind. Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what what is right? When your children sinned against him, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. But if you will look to God and plead with the Almighty, If you are pure and upright, even now he will rouse himself on your behalf and restore you to your rightful place. Your beginnings will seem humble, so prosperous will your future be. Ask the former generations and find out what their fathers learned. For we were born only yesterday and know nothing, and our days on earth are but a shadow. Will they not instruct you and tell you? Will they not bring forth words from their understanding? Can papyrus grow tall where there is no marsh? Can reeds thrive without water? While still growing and uncut, they will wither more quickly than grass. Such is the destiny of all who forget God. So perishes the hope of the godless. What he trusts in is fragile. What he relies on is a spider's web. He leans on his web, but it gives way. He clings to it, but it does not hold. He is like a well-watered plant in the sunshine, spreading its shoots over the garden. It entwines its roots around a pile of rocks and looks for a place among the stones. But when it is torn from its spot, that place disowns it and says, I never saw you. Surely its life withers away, and from the soil other plants grow. Surely God does not reject a blameless man, or strengthen the hands of evildoers, he will yet fill your mouth with laughter, and your lips with shouts of joy. Your enemies will be clothed in shame, and the tents of the wicked will be no more. That sends the reading of God's holy, authoritative word, may he bless it to our lives and our hearts this morning you may be seated. Wow. Throughout the scriptures, we find many, many passages that clearly teach us to view our suffering as a discipline discipline from a loving and holy God who clearly uses suffering in our lives to correct our sinful ways. That is true. It's a fact. For instance, Psalm 119, verse 67, just to give you an example. David, King David, says this. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I take heed according to your word. In other words, he was straying from God, and God got his attention. You with me? Brought a little affliction in his life, a little trial, a little some suffering. And then David learned from that, from that discipline and said, I'm listening. I'm back. For us, more often than not, God is using our suffering in our lives to get our attention and to refine our rough edges. Some of us got more of them than others. He uses them to purify us from sin. Recently, I was collecting some really smooth, cool stones of all magnificent colors on a shoreline. But I I had to walk down long, craggy rocks to get to this sweet spot. And then when I was on my way back from the smooth place to go back up the craggy rocks, I just thought about it for a moment because I had been meditating on Joe for quite a while. And I grabbed this raggedy old nasty crazy looking rock and I grabbed it and I threw it into the waves. And I said, I promise you, someday, you're gonna be beautiful. How often, that's what God does to his people. He takes our raggedy old selves and he throws us into the tempest of the storm. And with only, as only a father could do, he looks to us and he says, someday, you're going to be beautiful. Touches all our hearts, does it not? But therein lies the problem for poor brother Job. <laughs> because the book of Job takes great pains to make it clear to us that Job had not gone astray that there, weren't, there wasn't these raggedy edges that God said man you need some help Matter of fact, both in the beginning, as we've seen in our studies so far, and at the end of the book, Job is clearly portrayed as a blameless and upright man who fears God, who shuns evil. God even says, "There's no one on the planet at this time like my servant Job." And then you get a huh. So that means that Job was not suffering because of some great sin. He wasn't suffering because he strayed from the upright path. And that, my brothers and sisters, is what was so baffling to poor brother Job. He just didn't get it. He couldn't get it out of his crawl. Now the thing with us is, We have the bigger picture of seeing the book from beginning to end. We know what was going on in the heavenlies. We know that God was doing this to glorify himself in a very specific way. We've seen that. and We'll see that again in the future uh, more closely. But of course, Job never does see this, does he? Very often, as I mentioned before, I just want to repeat this as we jump into this. We come to the book of Job looking for answers to why. Why, God, do you allow the suffering in the city? Why, God, did you take my child? Why, God? And the list goes on and on. The truth is, we will not find those answers in the book of Job. They're just not there. But what we will see As we continue our series on Job, we will see many things. We will see not only the big question how to suffer as the redeemed of the Lord, even when you don't understand why, right? Because later in the book of James, he holds forth Job as what? An example of those who have persevered under suffering, who was patient. So that's there. But I want you to see something this morning because there are many, many lessons and there are many chapters in the book of Job. This morning I thought we'd look at it from a little different angle. And that's the angle of this. How can we be better counselors to our brothers and sisters who are in chronic suffering? The more I read these words, the more I, I, I kind of shuddered a little bit as I see myself in Bildad. Or I see myself in his first friend, Eliphaz. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a comfort. I want to be a help. I want to point people to Jesus. And I don't want to add to their suffering unnecessarily. So we'll see this morning, among other things, we're going to see this. Although suffering leads the saints to distress bad advice adds to their duress. I won't repeat that because it's more profound than it might sound. Suffering leads the saints to distress. But bad advice adds to their duress. And following that up, I only have one other thing I want to point out, and that is when the silence of God leaves them perplexed, it's best for us not to add to their stress. Come on, this was good. I mean, I was meditating a long time for that one. Man, it took a long time. But it finally came out. So let's take a look at this first thing. And I think it's important to see this. Suffering leads the saints to distress. We saw it last time, and we read it this morning. Job's suffering was was very severe But one of the things that um, we may not realize if we just read it kind of quickly and not stop and think it through, that up to chapter 7, Job had already been suffering for months. Can you imagine that? All the things that happened to him, all the silence of God, this bad advice of his friends, his, his very body being broken and open sores and stinking. This is months and months of futility and nights of misery. I mean, let's just really quick, very quick summary. Look at the the descriptive language. Job Job uh, doesn't mind being very descriptive, does he? As he cries out to God. He's very blunt and and very poetic, but yet it's still very strong language. And he says things like this. He says, my body's clothed with worms and scabs. I don't know about you, but I'm thinking Gross. Ugh. My skin is broke and festering. Oh, just the word festering makes me go, oh. You know, I need the, the disease team to come in with you know, the hazmat and all that stuff. Just saying. He says, Remember, oh God, that my life is but a breath, my eyes will never see happiness again. And so he complains to God in verses 13 to 14. When I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint. Then you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions so that I would choose strangling and death rather than my bones. In other words, I look for sleep to sleep for comfort. How many of us, man, I don't know about you, but so many times I'm like, ah, I could just go to sleep and at least for a few minutes forget about all the bad stuff. You ever been there? I don't know you have, but I, I have sometimes. And he says, even when I go to sleep, though, you give me terrifying nightmares. How would you like that? The the, the one moment you think you get relief, you have these crazy, awful, terrifying nightmares. And it's no wonder that such great pain, this is why I bring this up, leads to distress. I get so sick. And tired of hearing fellow Christians say, Oh, a Christian you can't possibly be a Christian and struggle with blank. You can't possibly be a, a Christian and deal with fill in the blank. I got a news for you. You could be a Christian and deal with all manner of maladies and struggles, including distress and despair. I was talking with a brother the other day and uh, Job here mentions that he is a man who has lost sight of all hope. He has no hope. He's filled with despair. And I was talking to a brother the other day and he said to me, in order to live, because he's going through some tough times right now, he says, in order to live, you need at least a glimmer of hope. And then he said to me, I don't have any. Thankfully, I was reading the book of Job. So I was a little more silent than my normal buck up. Things will get better. It's a very dark and painful place to be when you don't see hope. And Job was experiencing this in spades. So it's no wonder that he turns his distress into a lamentation. So he cries out to God in verse 11, look, therefore I will not keep silent. I will speak out in the anguish of my soul. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Job really is keeping it real here. Isn't he? He says, I despise my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone. My days have no meaning. What's amazing to me is that God sets him forth as no one else like him in all the earth, a man who fears God, shuns evil. There's no one as righteous as Job in in his generation. And yet listen to his words. They're too real, aren't they? They are. There's a Queen song written by Brian May, the guitar player, that I've always listened to, and I've I've, got to be honest with you, I was always a little guilty listening to it in the sense that the the lyrics, the message is not too yippy-skippy, happy-slappy. The name of the song is Who Wants to Live Forever? And some of the lyrics, I'll just quote a couple of them. They go, there's no chance for us. It's all decided for us. This world has only one sweet moment set aside for us. Who wants to live forever? Who dares to love forever when love must die? I never thought I'd actually find a place in the Bible where a true saint actually feels these type of sentiments. But listen, why do I bring this up? Not to depress you, but to show you that this is where severe suffering leads us. It often drives us to despair. And here's the point I want you to see. Even the very best of us can get to this place. It's not weak people. It's not, oh, well, you're just not strong enough in the Lord. There was no one stronger in the Lord in his day. No one. But you know, even he had his breaking point. I remember watching Larry King's interview with Billy Graham and, and I was taken off guard by an uncharacteristically unbiblical comment by Billy Graham. I highly respect him as a brother in the Lord and as an evangelist and I think the world of him as a person. Um, loved his wife, loved God and had, was a great testimony. But he said one thing that I was like, Billy, I wish I wouldn't have said that because a lot of people listen to what you say. He said something to the effect of this. I remember the sentiment a true Christian can't be depressed. And my heart sank. Because how many real Christians hearing that would be discouraged thinking, well, then maybe I'm not a true Christian. Because Billy Graham just said Christians can't be depressed. Look back at verse chapter 6, verse 14. Uh, you can look back if you want, but I'll just mention it. Job comes right out and describes himself in this way, to his three so called friends, he says, A despairing man should have the devotion of his friends. So, how does Job describe himself? As a despairing man. Suffering leads to despair. But I, now I'm going to give you some encouragement here from Job's own words, not only here, but throughout his struggling with God and arguing against the bad advice of his friends. Notice something really interesting here that I I find really encouraging and really bolstering to my faith, even when it's at a low ebb. Notice that Job's despair is not the kind of despair that leads to denying God's existence. You, You follow me? Sometimes people will argue like this. I am suffering, and if there was a good and powerful God, he would stop it. Therefore, there is no God. Guess what? Job never says that. He never even comes close to saying that. From beginning to end, Job brings all of his complaints to who? To the living God. He questions his silence. He questions his apparent absence and sometimes his presence. But never does he question his existence. I just think that's important to see. Not only that, but far from denying his existence, he doesn't deny God's existence, Job brings his despair right to God's feet in agonizing lament. And not only that, here's what we need to see. Never, even all the way to the end, does he ever curse God. He doesn't do it. Remember, that was the big thing at the beginning. The devil said, I'll have him cursing you to your face. And God says, go ahead. Do your best work, but God knew that he's not gonna do it. No, it's not the kind of despair that clenches its fist and curses God. But he does cry out in pain to God that he knows is there somewhere. And he's completely perplexed by the silence of God. He basically says to God, look at verse 16, let me alone. Who am I that you're focusing all this attention on me? Verse 17. Every morning, every moment, will you never look away from me or let me alone even an in instant? He basically says, let me, give me a moment to swallow my spit. Wow. Then he says something interesting. He basically says, if I have sinned, forgive me already. <laughs> it's this, he's been, you know, his three friends continually say, you must have sinned, basically. There's no way God is just. There's no way he would bring this on you, so you must have done something. That's going to be their constant refrain, and it gets really, really old. And Job is saying, look, if that's true, then just forgive me already. But Joe, here's Job's problem, but I know I haven't. I know there's no great big secret thing that I've done that's deserving this type of attention. Now, this is really important to see. Job is wondering what evil he could have possibly done to get this intense, relentless, painful attention from God. But here's the thing. I want you to see this, brothers and sisters. This is super important in the whole book. It's not any sin that drew God's attention to him at all. Listen, on the contrary, it was actually the rare quality of blamelessness and uprightness that made God single him out. It's turned on its head. God didn't take an interest in him because he was so sinful. But why did God take an interest in him? Because he was so righteous. Sounds like somebody else we know, doesn't it? the righteous one. You know, I remember telling a friend who had really deep mental problems, and he was suffering well, well beyond anything I could help him with. And I just, I don't know, the Lord gave me this to say to him, the one God loved the most suffered the most. And in this case with Job, of course, he wasn't perfect like our Lord Jesus. But relatively speaking, he was head and shoulders above the crowd. Now, of course, Job could not see that God was using his suffering in a very unique way to bring glory to himself, What we can see, specifically by magnifying his power to redeem and save a people for himself who serve him, not simply for material and earthly blessings that he gives, but because of who he is and what he's done to redeem our souls from hell and bring us back into relationship with himself. And there'll be more of that in future sermons. But now let's just observe for now that Job's words don't come from a healthy man sitting in a chair debating the meaning of life. You know, those people, let's have a cigar and some whiskey and let's talk about life. Real convenient, isn't it? I could always talk about the mysteries of life when I have a sound body, sound mind, you know? No, Job is on (laughs) this This bed of pain. And so we'll understand, I hope, a little bit when he's coloring out of the lines a little bit. (laughs) You're not talking to a man in his right mind. You with me? And that's just the point. Here's the point. Before I go to the second and last thing I want to point out. His friends should have been more concerned with showing some empathy and compassion than with having all the answers or winning an argument. brothers and sisters if there's anything as a side point we should see from those counselors where was their heart yes we need to think with our heads but we need to think with our hearts we need to have empathy and sympathy these are things that we're missing very seriously severely from his friends here's the last thing I want to point out the main thought, when the silence of God leaves them perplexed, it's best for us not to add to their stress. Now, upon hearing his friend's desperate plea, how does Bildad respond? Listen, he literally responds by adding insult to the injury that God has poured out upon poor Job. He pours a generous dose of vinegar on Job's wounds by, first of all, calling him a bloward. That's what he says. You're filled with wind, man. You're just a blowhard. But then, listen to this. this I mean, can you think of anything more insensitive than this? I can't. He basically says, you know your children that all died in disaster? They got what they deserved. How do you like that? What a friend. And a buddy. It says in verse 3 to 4, chapter 8, he says, does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? When your children sinned against Him, He gave them over to the penalty of their sin. Now, first of all, who in their right mind would blatantly say such a, a callous thing, even if it were true? Even if it were true, who would say that to a grieving father? No, I want you to get the full impact of this. Here's the funeral. The father's beside himself, weeping and weeping for his children, and you come up to him and say, hey, they got what they deserved. Can you imagine? That's insanity. That's insanity. Yeah, it is. In the name of God. That's what makes it doubly evil. You're gonna come with supposed traditionally traditional wisdom. But here's the bigger point. This is this is some of this stuff is so incredible. Bildad, because he refuses to open himself up to the possibility of being wrong of having an inadequate paradigm for understanding suffering in the world, he assumes that Job's kid had it coming or God would be unjust. You follow me? So in other words, God would never have done that unless they had sinned. So in other words, what's he saying? He's saying that all suffering is a result of sin. It has to be. Or otherwise, because why would God punish these children? Listen, in the New Testament this happened, you remember? Gospel of John, there's a blind man born from birth, and his disciples asked Jesus what? Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You remember that? And what does Jesus say? Neither, but that the glory of God, the power of God might be manifest. Oh, that sounds similar. In this too, children didn't sin to deserve this. Job didn't sin to deserve this. But that the power and glory of God, which we'll see later, will be manifest. So this man's answer is too too simplistic, especially in Job's case. He basically says, repent and God will restore you. And Job's rolling his eyes like, really? We've been through this a million times. If I could find a sin, I'd repent of it that deserve this type of suffering. Look at me with verses 13 to 15. He's basically calling Job a hypocrite. Let us see here. It's chapter 8, sorry, verses 13 to 15. He says this. Such is the destiny of all who forget God, So perishes the hope of the godless. What he trusts in is fragile. What he relies on is a spider's web and so on. In other words, Job, you're wicked or God wouldn't be doing this to you. This is precisely what God refers to at the end of the book when he says that Job's friends did not speak correctly about him. They said that God was punishing Job for some great sin and that God rejected Job, and that couldn't be further from the truth. The damage they were doing trying to represent God and basically tell Job, God's angry at you. That's why this is happening, right? And that's why later in the book, God takes those three men aside and basically deals with them. He says, Job, he says, you have not spoken rightly about me the way my servant Job has. How do you like that? He goes, but my servant, Job, will pray for you and offer up sacrifices so that you'll be forgiven. But that's for another sermon. And I think there's just a few things we need to take away from these chapters. There's tissues behind you. Oh, thanks. My wife's looking out for me. I appreciate that. I mentioned it earlier, so i only mentioned it uh, just in a sentence. Job's friends didn't have sympathy or empathy. They were listening only with their heads and not their hearts. And that's something we can learn from it. All Job wanted was a little love and some understanding, some compassion, instead of these endless self-righteous speeches that plunge the the dagger in deeper. (sighs) Excuse me. So Elmer Smick, uh, a commentator, puts it this way. The lesson we must learn is that there are such people in the world, like Bildad, and that they do their heartless disservice to mankind under the guise of being a friend of God. And then he says this, counselors must always bear in mind that they may not fully understand the nature of the case. It's better to be honest and say, look, I don't know why you're going through this, but I'm here, and I love you. We've seen that Job, a righteous man who feared God and shunned evil, cried out in great lamentation. And he was especially perplexed about why God's hand was so heavy upon him when he had done nothing particularly wicked to deserve such treatment. Well, there was one who was more righteous than Job, and he expressed even more profound lament when he cried out upon a wooden cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken? Like Job, he suffered not for his sins, but for God's sovereign purposes. But unlike Job, he was 100% sin-free. And here's the, the interesting thing. He did it even for Job. Think about that. He's Job's redeemer. Because Job will later charge God with an injustice, and God will say, now wait a minute. <laughs> now you crossed. <laughs> I'll deal with your three friends in a minute, but you and I, we got to talk. we're going to see that job in future sermons job will actually struggle with the fact of he needs a mediator and he will talk about knowing that his redeemer lives and he only sees it barely 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 and i'm going to close with this brothers and sisters we live in a time we are blessed to live in a time where we do see it where we see the messiah clearly he's been revealed And so it's even more incredible how a brother who didn't have the revelation we had, that God was able to keep him by faith, even in the midst of suffering that most of us in this room will never see. That kind of suffering. Such is the grace of God in the life and the trials of a man called Job. And in your life and mine. Let's pray. Father, there's so much... In these ancient words that are your contemporary word for us today, we thank you that your Holy Spirit speaks clearly through them. And Lord, comfort us even with these difficult words. Comfort us with the fact that there is a Redeemer. And he does speak on our behalf to you, Father. So Father, when we're perplexed, when even at times when we can't see you, God, have mercy on our souls. And may we, just like Job, as you enabled your servant to thrust ourselves upon you, even in bitter lament, in your presence, still relating with you, even in our suffering. Lord, we pray that we would do this for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.